for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 57, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, we're doing a special podcast focusing on fathers. This is a very special Father's Day podcast and the first of a two-part interview I did with Fox News anchor Tucker Carlson. He is also the host of Tucker Carlson Tonight. I sat down with Tucker in his office in Washington, D.C. and talked about his own father, being the father of four, and what he thinks about the state of fathers in America. So stay tuned. Tucker is funny, witty, and has unusual stories and insights into fatherhood. During this week before Father's Day, I wanted each of us to pause and think about the fathers in our lives. Some of us had wonderful memories of our dads, conversations, vacations, car rides, walks in the parks, or bike rides. Some of us have lost our fathers and ache to have them back for just one more day. Some of you listening are fathers of young children or grown adults. Perhaps you were a single dad struggling with the feeling that you just aren't enough for your kids. Or maybe you struggle with wondering if you're getting this parenting thing right. This podcast is for you. No matter who you are or what your age, each of you has experience with a father. Even if you had no father in the home growing up, your experience is that you wished for a dad. You missed out on so much. If you had a painful experience with your father, you need resolution. So whatever you feel about dads right now, this podcast is for you. As always in the podcast, I'll share my points to ponder so you dads can start using them right away. And parents, as a reminder, don't just download your episodes, click subscribe. When you do that, you are joining my parenting revolution and every new podcast will automatically show up in your subscribe list. I promise you won't regret it. And remember, we'd love for you to write us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think of the podcast. We're not only on iTunes, but the Parenting Great Kids podcast is also available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcast, subscribe today. Don't miss a single episode. Now, I am excited to tell you, my loyal and amazing listening audience, about the release of my paperback book for dads called You've Got This. Unleashing the Hero Dad Within. It was chosen as a Dave Ramsey book club selection, and I wrote You've Got This for two reasons. First, to encourage and inspire fathers and to give them a roadmap to parenting. This is a book that inspires every dad to be the best dad he can possibly be and to know that no matter where he is in life, He can get the big stuff right with his kids. And so many fathers doubt that they can. 
They overthink parenting. They worry about how good of a job they're doing. And many dads feel insecure. They may not admit it, but they feel that way. And really, all kids want from their dads is more time, affection, attention, and for dads to just work hard at getting, as I said, the big stuff right. Second, I wrote the book to push back against all of the negative messages our culture sends about dads, that they're weak, unnecessary, and irrelevant. We know we have a father crisis in America, but no one knows what to do about it. So I wrote the book as part of the solution. This is a book that clearly shows fathers how important they are, why kids need their dads, and then how any father can be the dad his kids need him to be. Friends, the research is crystal clear. Every home, town, city, and in fact our entire country would be safer and stronger if fathers are given encouragement to engage their kids and families more. So You've Got This helps fathers do exactly that. And it'd make a great Father's Day gift for the dad or granddad, stepdad, foster dad in your life. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 57. Stay with us. Now on to my points to ponder. And these are for dads. Point to ponder one. Dads, be bold. You know, many fathers fail to act on their good instincts, I found, because they feel pressure to sort of stay in the background and be quiet. They don't want to ruffle feathers or stir the waters in their home. When it comes to setting boundaries with the kids, they sort of keep quiet for fear of rocking the boat. They don't want the kids to get upset. They don't want their wives to get angry. You know, many times we wives tell our husbands they just don't understand what kids think, what kids want, and we sort of push them away. And in a way, we throw them into orbit in our homes. We want them involved, but the moment they get involved, we criticize them for doing something the way they're doing it, and particularly if it's a certain way we don't like, and we basically push them out of the way again. Don't do this to your kids, dads. Don't stay in the background. Your opinion and your voice matters to your whole family, particularly to your kids. Point number two, dads, be present. In my experience, fathers universally underestimate how much spending time with kids means to their kids. Many fathers feel that kids don't care if I'm home or not, or kids don't pay attention if I'm busy at home, out doing my chores, mowing the lawn, working in the woods, often with my friends. Kids don't really care if I'm not involved with them. Well, that is 100% not true. When you're not involved with your kids or not paying attention, or you're not emotionally or physically present with your kids, they hurt. They want you there. They want your attention. They won't tell you that, but they want it. So don't disappear on your kids. Don't take off on them. Be present at home, literally and figuratively. Every child wants to know that his or her father wants to be with them. So when you show up for your kids regularly, you change who your kids become. Remember, a child's identity is shaped by face-to-face time with mom and with dad. It isn't shaped on the soccer field or football field or doing chores. It's shaped when you are with your child one-on-one. Third, dads, 
be proud of being a dad. You know, we're living in a father bashing, father shaming culture. So dads, if you feel that pressure and you feel put down, do not buy into this. Be proud to be a father and don't cave to pressure around you that tells you you are unnecessary or expendable. You may feel like this, but be assured of one thing. Your kids don't feel that you're expendable. Your kids don't feel that you're unnecessary. Your kids feel that their world revolves around you. And most fathers don't understand this. And even if they know it intellectually, they don't believe it. So you need to be proud of your job as a father. God put you in your family for a reason. He handpicked you to be your kid's dad. So whether you're a stepdad, a foster dad, a single dad, divorced dad, widower, it doesn't matter. You are the center of your child's world to step up to the plate and be proud that your child wants you to be his dad. It's your approval, dads, your kids are after, not their coaches or their teachers or anybody else's. It's your approval they want. So now I want you to listen in on a wonderful conversation I had with Tucker Carlson. I know you're really going to love this. Tucker, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, in the words of Tucker Carlson, thanks for coming on. <laughs> well, I'm grateful to be here. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship with your dad. Your dad is still alive, and what was your relationship with with your dad like when you were growing up? Uh, he's still alive. I had lunch with him about 40 minutes ago. I have lunch with him every week. He lives here in Washington. That's one of the reasons I live here. Uh, I'm very close to my dad. I grew up with my when I was little with my dad and my brother. Um, our mother had moved out of the country, so we, he was a single dad, uh, and so he was sort of the beginning and the end for us. I mean, we really loved our dad, and we live to this day within my brother and my dad and I within like walking distance of each other. So I've had a really close relationship with my father my whole life. I'm almost 50, so it's a long time, and it's been, in a lot of ways, the center of my life the entire time. I always really respected my father. Haven't always agreed with him. Mm-hmm. Mostly I agree with him, but I haven't always. But I've never not respected him. I, I can honestly say I've never had a crossword with my father ever. Wow. Did your dad command that respect or is that just something that naturally came out of you because you admired him? The latter, for sure. He was not a blustery figure at all. He was very gentle and very kind and probably by modern standards overindulgent of my brother and me. Um, he was is you know politically very conservative temperamentally probably very liberal he kind of let us get away with stuff that you know you would never let your kids get away with now he let us ride in the roof of the station wagon you know to the movies and stuff and he was you're kidding oh no wow no no you know he sort of believed in you know dangerous activities and risk-taking and all that he was not he was not overprotective (laughs) he was always encouraging us to hitchhike but you know that's great for boys it was great i mean not that you want to encourage them to ride on the roof of a car it was the best but i think it's so important for dads to encourage boys to take risk mothers don't do that we protect our boys we want our boys to be safe yeah i'm not in i don't think that's i mean look you know you obviously don't want your kids to get hurt or be killed obviously but there's a huge cost to overprotecting kids i mean i grew up at the very opposite end of that spectrum and i could 
I could tell you stories you wouldn't believe. Were but, you, um, <laughs> were, you, were, you, were you a tough kid? Some, some, oh, you, I've you, never you, been. No, I'm not tough at all. I mean, but I, I don't. Mean, uh, but I, I believe mean, in risk. Parent. Yeah, I always have believed in risk. I'm certainly not tough. The the two fistfights I've been in, I lost badly <laughs> both. Um, I was an adult actually both times. Didn't do very well. Uh, so no, I'm not. I'm definitely not tough. But we were encouraged, um, aggressively encouraged to to see interesting things, and not to take risk for its own sake. My father's not like a lunatic or anything, but I mean, he's always. I mean, the Iraq War broke out, for example, in 2003, and I've had lunch with him, you know, my whole adult life every week. And I'll never forget, I was hosting a TV show at the time, Crossfire on CNN, and, you know, everyone was going. All the journalists were going to cover the war, and my father at lunch says, well, so when are you going to Iraq? And I said, well, you know, I've got, what, four kids? (laughs) You know, I've got a TV show. I'm the host of the show. I'm not, like, going to Iraq. He's like, so war breaks out. Everyone goes, but you don't go, but you're still a journalist? Is that what you're saying? And I was like, yeah. Anyway, I went like three weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> because dad wanted you to. Yeah. Well, just because it was like something interesting is happening and you should see it. He was always encouraging us to do stuff like that. Always. I mean, always. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I don't want to make him sound like a nutcase because he's he's hardly a nutcase. But, you know, he had a different life experience. He was an orphan. He lived in an orphanage in Boston when he was little he got into trouble in high school, a couple of high schools, wound up joining the Marines at 17, was a journalist for many years. He, you know, he's from a more rough and tumble world than the one I grew up in. And he, you know, wasn't like a swaggering tough guy or anything like that, but he definitely was not from the safety first school at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he looked down on that because he thought that was missing the point. And I, and I agree with that. And I've, and I've passed that on to my children. Don't, you know, don't do anything stupid. And discretion is the better part of valor often. But on the other hand, don't miss life in your attempt to hold on to it. I think a lot of times parents now who are so safety conscious and protective of their kids, um, which is a lot of parents' MO today, seem to parent their kids um, to keep them from dying rather than embracing and living life. What do you think happens at the end? You die. You die. A hundred percent of us will yes. die. That's the one thing, as my history teacher in high school said, what do all these people are studying have in common? There's one thing. Oh, they're dead, <laughs> as you will be. And so keep that, as we say in the Episcopal Church on Ash Wednesday, remember that you are dust, yeah. and to dust you shall return. And that's that's like, that's like the key thing to know about life. So with that in mind, not a, a creepy or morbid sense, but a healthy dose of fatalism is really important. Yeah. So you sort of know it's going to end. The question is not, are you going to die? Yes, you are. The question is, what do you do in the meantime? And again, I'm not encouraging anybody to throw life away. Of course not. But holding on too tightly gets you nothing. It you miss it. Right. Do you teach that to your own ch- oh, children? Oh, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I believe that. And I, I fly a lot. And you know, flying on planes, especially with your kids, especially in turbulence, is always a great moment to remind yourself of that and them. It's like, in the end, you really aren't in control. And I think the most basic lie that we tell ourselves and we repeat it endlessly is that we are in control and technology affirms that lie and it convinces us that, you know, there's nothing in life that we're not the master of. And it convinces us, by the way, that we're God and it has all these unintended and horrible consequences, like abortion, in my opinion, and a lot of others. But basically, it convinces you that you know, you're the, the author of every experience. And the truth is, you have no idea what's going to happen. We right. waste so much time. I, I do tell my children this. 
We spend all this time planning, young people especially. They imagine that life is this kind of Rube Goldberg machine that they can sort of plan out. Well, I'm going to you know, get this degree, and from there I'm going to go here, and using that I'm going to go to this place. It's like, actually, no, you're not. Right. Whatever you think you won't up, end up doing, pretty high likelihood you'll wind up doing that. Right. You know, you, you will probably wind up, you know, working as a lumberjack in New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or an accountant in Laredo. It's like you have no idea what life holds for you. And so really the best you can do is make the most interesting choice at the time. You know, do the thing that seems right right now. And this is, by the way, I'm not, you know, a hyper-Christian or anything, but this is a biblical precept. Yeah. Look at the birds of the air. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't spend too much time well, planning. Exactly. I think that, you know, being able to embrace your philosophy would be difficult if you didn't have any kind of faith. Because if you feel like you're not in control, then at least somebody else has got to be higher power, God. Um, because I think that's such great wisdom, you know, the older I get. You know, even my husband and I have found in medicine, you know, you start out your medical career thinking, wow, I can really do this and I can manipulate yes. that and I can save people's lives and the older you get my husband 63 said to me the other day you know I feel like I know less and less and less every year yes. because Amen. so much is not up to me exactly and I think there's just a tremendous amount of wisdom in that well, that's why older people are way less judgmental I always noticed yes. that when I was a kid I thought they were wishy-washy I thought it was like declining testosterone levels which is by the way real and a problem <laughs> but it's not just that yeah, yeah. it's yeah that as you get older, you realize how flawed you are. Yeah. And so it becomes much harder to write off other people as evil because you sort of on some level know, like under certain circumstances, there's probably nothing I wouldn't do, actually. Right. Because right. I'm that bad a person. Yeah. I, I'm not going to use profanity on your podcast, but <laughs> my father, even when I was little, who's a pretty salty character, would always say the root of all wisdom is knowing what a fill in the blank you yeah. are. Yeah. Knowing what a loser you are, what a jerk you are. Yeah. Meditate on that. Well, I think it's important because it puts everybody in a, le- a level field. Yes. Which is not the direction we're going in our culture. You know, the, the, the more we hear people pushing for tolerance, the less tolerant well, a lot of those people are. And there isn't a level playing field. Let's talk about you as a dad. I'm gleaning that from your father, you have embraced the idea of helping your kids live life, embrace life, and take some risks. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I have four children ranging from 23 to 15, so I'm still kind of in the middle of it. But, you know, I, I, I got to be honest, I don't have a lot of well-developed theories about parenthood. I'm very much an instinct mm-hmm. parent. There are a couple of things I believe you should respect your parents, even if you disagree with them. You know, outward displays of disrespect for your parents are wrong and they're destabilizing and they're bad for the child and they're not allowed in our house mm-hmm. as they weren't allowed in the house I grew up in. They're, they're not even under consideration. I mean, it's not even a question really. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I sort of go by smell as I think you <laughs> I should. I've never heard a parent say that. Oh, yeah. Of. That's how I grew up. <laughs> you go by smell. Every yeah. Saturday, my father and brother and I went to the movies growing up every Saturday and every set when we were little and we'd eat tons of popcorn and drink massive coca-colas we always have to go to the bathroom at the end mm-hmm. and as we walked to the theater my father would always guide us out the front door past the men's rooms and we'd all walk out to the parking lot and take a leak on the wheels oh, of the station gosh. wagon every single saturday that you rode on the rooftop yes to and over one to day the- my brother said pop why are we peeing on the station wagon why can't we go in the men's room and my father said, i'll never forget he goes never lose touch with your inner dog son 
And I thought that was, if I were to sort of sum up the yeah. guiding principle of my childhood, it's that. Don't lose touch with your inner dog. You know the overwhelming majority of the time the right thing. Your instincts tell you the right thing. It's very clear. Mm-hmm. And you make the wrong choice only to the extent that you overthink it and you rationalize it. Strip that away. Sniff it. Yeah. And you almost always land on you know, the right decision. It's an enormous problem for parents that I find is they oh. won't tr- trust their instincts. It's unbelievable. They're like, well, yeah. maybe it's okay if my child is, you know, deciding that, you know, he's a she or gender's a fluid construct. It's like, that's no, it crap isn't. and you know it. And like your instincts tell you that. And the only reason you believe that is because we live in this super decadent, hyper affluent world where, you know, rationalization is our religion and like normal people, you know, there's not a single person on the entire continent of Africa who believes that. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> I mean, they no. never fall for crap like that. I don't think 99% of Americans of do. Of course they I, don't. I, I think, too, that our focus has been so much on kids' feelings, not their behavior. Yeah. And that feelings are what really matter, not, not a person's behavior. If you could pick three character qualities that your children have when they're 30... What would those character qualities be? That I would like them to have? Yes. Character qualities. Character qualities. Well, loyalty mm-hmm. would be right up there. You have to be loyal to the people around you. Family? Well, friends? Family first, radiating outward. I mean, I have a kind of Sicilian view of this, and that's how I grew up, that your loyalties are to your family first, and then to your friends, and then to, you know, in concentric circles outward, you know, getting to your country, and a bit, but it's your family. Mm-hmm. I mean that's the that's the building block of any society. That's where your your loyalty is primarily. So loyalty is is absolutely essential to me. Not not that you know I expect to need to be defended by my family, though they have defended me in the past. Um, mm-hmm. But just because there's a, there's an order to that, and it it it's an expression of your priorities. And family is always the most important thing, always. And that's of course why the family's under such relentless attack by the left which really feels it has a moral obligation to control you and the family is in the way. Mm-hmm. Of course, if your first obligation is to your family, well then, you know, that's a problem for people who would seek authoritarian control over you and that's why authoritarian systems break down the family first, always. Right. The Nazis did it, the Soviets did it, they all do it because the family is, is a threat to them. Anyway, so I would say loyalty first, um, honesty, and not just honesty and not telling a lie, but honesty in, in being real, not deluding yourself or, or the people around you. Um, and then I would have a compound answer for the for the second. I would say a sense of humor and a love of dogs are really important to me. They're really important. Mm-hmm. All my kids are funny. All of them love dogs. Mm-hmm. And I think those are expressions of important character qualities. I mean, dogs are weaker than you. You can do whatever you want to a dog. You have total control over the dog. So it's really a measure of your decency, how you treat a dog. Exactly. Yep. How you treat something that you can do anything to. And humor gives you some critical distance on yourself. You know, I, I won't get more specific than this, but I will say I had someone very close to me who was deathly ill, terminally ill, we believed, and ended up recovering amazingly in the end. But at the moment when I thought this person was going to die, this person told an unbelievably vulgar and hilarious joke. And I've never admired anyone more than I admired this person at that moment because I thought, that's what bravery looks like. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to get outside yourself to the extent that you can actually laugh about something, I mean, you're a, that's courageous. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, particularly in your deathbed. Absolutely. 100%. Yep. I really want to be that guy. Yeah. How have you maintained humor, humility, um, 
honesty in the work that you do? I would imagine it's hard. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, you know, I've been married to the same woman for 27 years and I, I've been with her since I was 15. So and she, I, keep, she keep you home. And I live with her. Yeah. I mean, I think she's a fan of mine. I mean, I know she is. Well, she says she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she's an honest person. But it's kind of hard to pretend that, you know, you're a holy man when you're living with your 10th grade girlfriend. You know what I mean? <laughs> she's kind of seen the whole thing. So yeah. that's a really important uh, factor in my life is being with her, you know, during the day. And I'm home a lot of the day. Mm-hmm. And she's bouncing around at the house with the dogs and whatever. That's just a, that is a grounding. And that's how, a, how many dogs you have? Two okay. right now. Mm-hmm. Meg and Dave, my spaniels. <laughs> Uh, dogs play an outsized role yeah. in uh, my life and, and always have. My father was a dog fanatic, mm. a dog lunatic. We always had dogs on the bed. Every bed in the house had a dog on it. So That's surprising. <laughs> That's something I would have never known. Do you, you know, I mean, you, you treat every child differently because every child's needs are different. That's right. I imagine, you know, there are viewers that you have who go, okay, you're a conservative guy, so you're anti-feminist, you're anti-woman. You have three daughters. Do you treat your daughters differently than your son, raising them? Well, in some ways. I mean, first of all, anyone who thinks I'm anti-women, I mean, that's... Not you. No, 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 but people are... Conservatives. Interesting. People are raised... People believe a lot of the dumbest propaganda. It's distressing to me. I never believe that people actually believe that stuff, but I think our kids are taught in school that it's a zero-sum equation where, you know, one sex's gain is the other's loss. That's insane. I don't know how, just to broaden the conversation very quickly, but how do we put the unhappiest people in the world in charge of educating our children? Mm -hmm. Like, why would you ever take life advice from a professional feminist? Mm -hmm. I'm serious. I'm would you take investment too. advice from someone who is bankrupt? Would you buy real estate from a homeless person? No. Then right. you wouldn't take life advice from someone who's demonstrably miserable in her personal life. And I'm not saying all feminists are unhappy. I actually know some happy feminists. They're living on farms in Vermont and kind of doing their thing. Mm-hmm. But the self-appointed guardians of public behavior on the feminist side are truly tormented people. I think I know all of them. And so I'm not mad at them. I don't hate them or anything. But the idea of taking life advice from them is insane. Like, yeah. that's literally the last group I would ever take a single piece of life advice from, but ever. That's, but that's kind of how we're constructing our it's, society. It's nuts, and yeah. we go along with it. I'm I'm not, again, I, it's not something I brood about at all. I just am totally resolved to ignore that crap in my personal life, because why would I pay any attention at all? Like, I look at these people, and I'm like, you know, I'm sure you're a good person, and I'll let God judge, you know, your sort of moral qualities or whatever, but... I can judge a happy personal life at a great distance, and you have an unhappy personal life. So I'm not going to let you have any control over my personal life because why would I do that? Why would I give Bernie Madoff my investment money? I wouldn't. So I'm not giving you any control over how I organize my family or what my personal beliefs about family are. Like You are excluded from that part of my life. And I don't understand why all these other people, I've got to be honest, some of them conservatives, are like, well, you know, they, some unhappy woman on TV told me I have to do this. I better go along with it. It's like, no. Who put you in charge? (laughs) By the way, I know a lot of women. I live with four of them. I don't know any women who believe, like, the advice in Teen Vogue 
or cosmopolitanism. It's just like, it's dumb. So who are all these people? Why are we obeying our self-appointed masters? That's yeah. my question. Like, again, were you elected to something? Did someone, you know, make you Gloria Steinem? Were you, was there an election that I missed? And like, you have control over me? No, go away. Well, I think we're appointing a lot of them in our <laughs> schools. And it's, it's really kind of crazy. And but I we're think participating in exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. We're participating. And one of the things that I'm coming up against as a pediatrician is that a lot of parents are parenting out of peer pressure. You know, they all worry about the kids, peer pressure, but, but parents are the ones succumbing. And I think that we're really appointing a lot of these people to be head of our schools, certainly head of our colleges. And I went to an all-women's college in the 1970s, Mount Holyoke College. And ah, I, Mount Holyoke. I know, yeah. I know well. So, so, I bet. So I saw the sort of the rise of this in the beginning of the Gloria Steinem. And I think really what came out of it, it was tremendous amount of animus that women feel towards men. Look at the Me Too thing. I mean, it's just making women, I mean, it's been hijacked. And I think, I think that there are tremendous amount of angry women out there who are really affecting our kids, education. And, but you're right. I don't know why you know, we're necessarily putting up with it. I think a lot of parents don't recognize the anger there. They think it's right. They think it's good. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I'm, I'm trying not to be judgmental. I'm actually not temperamentally very judgmental at all. But I just know for me, that stuff is just noise. It's a recipe for unhappiness. Mm-hmm. I would never allow it anywhere near my kids. I, I just don't take any of it seriously. I mean, the only reason that ideas that self-evidently dumb have any currency at all is because we are sort of a late stage affluent society mm-hmm. where all of our material needs are not only met, but there's no question of them being met. So we are like, we can indulge frivolous nonsense Absolutely. like that. I mean, there's no kind of less affluent society that would entertain any of this stuff for a second. They'd be like, what? By the way, you can't fight nature, actually. It turns out in real life, I'm a hunter and a fly fisherman, so I'm, you know, I'm not Marlon Perkins or anything, but I spend a fair amount of time in nature. I like nature, and one of the things that you learn is that there's sort of no going against it. Like, these systems are bigger than you are, so exactly. you can pretend that it's not real, yep. but it doesn't make it any less real. Men and women are very different. Right. And in some ways, they're very similar, but in other ways, they're very different. They're biologically different, and there's lots of implications. And of, difference is that. good. Yeah, it's great. Or, by the way, I wouldn't even say good. I happen to think it is good. I'm with the French on that. But it is. So it's it's like, I it guess it's good matter. in the sense that it's, the sunrise is good. I don't know. We call it good. I enjoy the sunrise. But it's going to rise whether I enjoy it or not. Mm-hmm. And men and women are going to be different and born different and die different and identifiably different by their DNA and their bones, whether I acknowledge it or whether I pretend it's not real. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I'm shouting into the darkness, okay? Because I can't change nature. None of us can. You know, not even Michelle Obama's in charge of that. Sorry, there's a limit to her power, too. So you could jump up and down and be like, oh, it shouldn't be this way. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I totally. But I think the argument that a lot of people are making is that uh, difference is not good. Sameness is good. And so that's the argument they're using to sort of squash masculinity and squash femininity. Parents, you know I love to get social. I want to hear from you. I want to interact with you. You can always connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MegMeekerMD. Or if you have a question, send it in to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. 
You know, parents, I love answering your question. And while I wasn't able to answer them today, in order to air my full interview with Tucker, not to worry. Very soon, I'm going to devote an entire podcast to answering your questions. I want to thank my guest, Tucker Carlson. Be sure to tune in to his wonderful show, Tucker Carlson Tonight on Fox News. And remember, friends... Tune in to our next podcast where I finish my wonderful interview with Tucker Carlson. Before I go, let's recap my points to ponder. Dads, be bold, be present, be proud. And until next time, parents, always remember, great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Episode 57, The Importance of Fatherhood, Part 1. And thanks to you, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over a million downloads. You can like Dr. Meeker on Facebook and follow her on Twitter and Instagram at MegMeekerMD. As a reminder, go to MegMeekerMD.com and sign up for her newsletter for giveaway opportunities and updates. And don't forget to share the podcast, write us a review, and click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. 